Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Welcome to this episode of the Officer Roll Call Podcast. I'm Paul Peluso, the editor of Officer Magazine. And as always, I'm joined by Frank Borelli, the editorial director of Officer Media Group. How's it going today, Frank? Pretty good, Paul. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm not doing bad. Um, so today we're going to talk about um, kind of like a tactical uh, firearms uh, tactical roundup, kind of a review of some of the uh, articles that we've ran in the magazine and online from our contributor, uh, Lindsay Burneman, who has been writing for the magazine for quite a few years now. And so it, it it's nice when we have these pieces that he writes that are specific to training. Sometimes he does you know, firearms and accessories reviews. Um, but then sometimes he kind of takes a look at uh, some of the different training uh, training tools and some of the different training drills that he uses when um, he practices his shooting. So first, Frank, um, you know, what, what should officers out there keep in mind when they go through their, their firearms training? You know, as we're talking about this, Paul, we talk about weapons design, weapon features, and then we talk about training. And when we're talking about articles from Lindsey Berdeman, who's a well-known expert in the industry, um, and like you said, he takes a look at firearms, then he takes a look at training methodologies. What we need to understand is that they're related, right? So what type of trigger your firearm has, your trigger press and the skills for that still have to be mastered the same way. What kind of sights do you have and are the techniques different? What's the capacity of your weapon? Are your reload requirements different? Um, you know, whether or not you have lights or optics and how do you train differently for that? Uh, what's the setting that you train in? There, there's, a, there's a big connection between weapons design and features and the training tactics that you use. Uh, and I, I think a lot of people forget that. We go to the range and, and we're practicing a skill or we're doing administrative qualification and we, we forget that really what we're doing there is mastering our technique with a given firearm and making sure that when everything's going sideways, our hits aren't going sideways. Our hits are going where they need to go. Yeah, and, um, you know, we'll start getting into some of these articles. Uh, we won't get too into depth on, on all of them, um, but I would suggest that everybody that's listening goes to uh, our, our website, officer.com clicks on that hamburger menu up here in the upper left-hand side and um, go to our by contributors page and click on Lindsay Burneman and you'll see all of these articles along with other articles that he's written in the past. Um, you know, they're very helpful. Like I said, he, he uh, takes a look, an in-depth look at in some of his reviews at the firearms and accessories, but also has the training articles as well. Um, so first, Frank, let's take a look at this uh, this one he wrote. This came out in January as an online exclusive on officer.com. And it's shooting accurately, training to hit the long shot. Uh, Lindsay talks about how when, when law enforcement agencies train with handguns, it's usually within 25 yards. But he really wanted to look at that 25 to 50 yard range and what you know officers and law enforcement agencies have to keep in mind when uh training within that that distance um so can you talk a little bit frank about what Lindsay talks about and what you've seen um when when it comes to uh you know lengthening your training distance there so i'm going to say that that Lindsay's dead on with this um most of the agencies i've ever dealt with um and, and again I've, I've spent my entire career in maryland except for when i was in the military 
um, all of our handgun training was out to 25 yards. Those were typically the longest shots. Uh, if people remember Blackwater um, training facility in North Carolina, probably about 20 years ago, a lot of their handgun ranges they used had 50 yard targets. And it kind of surprised me the number of guys that would go out with their uh, their personal firearms, their 1911s or, you know, their full-size Glocks or whatever. And they would regularly practice on 10 by 12 steel or eight inch steel plates at 50 yards. And I never really got it, but I definitely understand it. So uh, for application, when you think about this, if you go say to an active shooter event at a school, those hallways can be a hundred yards plus. And if you don't have a long arm with you, which is what most of us want. We're going to shoot 50 yards. I'd rather have a long gun all day. It's easy to hit a 50-yard target with a rifle, far different with a five-inch or four-inch barrel handgun. you got to practice to make those hits, but you're talking about body shots. You're talking about uh, you know, a 15-inch square or 20-inch square uh, at 50 yards. And practice the shots. Um, just to stay familiar, to really maximize your sight alignment, your sight picture, your breath control, and your trigger press. Um, and, and, and make those hits count. But if you never do it a couple of times a year, go out to the 50 yard line on your range, put up a B 27 target and see how much you can keep inside the eight ring at 50 yards, bet your buddy lunch or whatever, make, make it fun, but see what you can do at 50 yards. I think Lindsay's spot on. So in this article, Lindsay gives a couple of different techniques that, that could help, you know, accuracy when it comes to shooting at longer ranges with the handgun. And uh, one is breathing techniques. How yep. how do you see you know the breathing techniques being more important when it comes to the long range shooting with the handgun than it is you know even with the the closer range shots? So from experience, I can tell you if you're in a shooting, most of your breath control goes out the window anyway. Um, but the the farther your shot is, the more accurate you have to be. The more important your breath control is, the respiratory pause. Uh, when we breathe, our shoulders move. When our shoulders move, our arms move. When our arms move, our hands move. Hands move, the gun moves. So you want to shoot in between the breaths and in that respiratory pause. The longer your shot, absolutely more important this is. But most of us don't practice control of our breathing. And we absolutely should. Doing those long shot, that long shot training, like Lindsay says, you're practicing 50 yards. You're forced to focus on it and practice it. So for the next article here that uh, we're going to take a look at that Lindsay wrote, this was actually from the July-August issue of uh, Officer Magazine last year and kind of, you know, go, goes not exactly hand-in-hand -hand with the long-range shooting, but this is um, just kind of a different training tactic here, uh, law enforcement drills for movement and shooting. So, um, you know, he talks about how officers generally don't have the luxury of stopping and, and setting up a good shot um and set up good shooting platform in order to deliver accurate fire um when you know while on duty uh in during you know a shooting and in that uh there's different things you can do to train um you know can you talk a little bit frank about i know frank uh lindsay talks in this article about how like sports shooters and how that's much different than you know, the training that has to be done for law enforcement. Can you talk a little about um, some of the tactics he talks about? So when you talk about competitive shooting versus uh, combat shooting, um, the biggest difference is competitors are obviously shooting for time 
and hits. Uh, combative shootings, combat shooting, you're, you're, you're shooting to stop a threat and not get stopped and, and not take hits. So there are some differences. Um, it's all about speed and time when you're competitive shooting. Um, it, and you can, you can be reloading while you move. If you're shooting for com, you know, combat shooting, you don't want to reload unless you're behind good cover. Um, most of what Lindsay talks about in this article, though, is uh, movement, moving techniques. Um, he talks about a close quarters drill where you can practice the necessity of moving and, and how well you do it. The biggest mistake uh, I think a lot of officers make is when they try to move and shoot, they don't realize that, uh, you know, just a minute ago, I said when you breathe, your shoulders move, shoulders control, arms, arms control, hands, hands control, gun. Well, when you move your feet, when you're walking, your hips go up and down. So guess what the rest of everything above your waist is moving up and down, right? If you're moving, typically your entire frame is moving up and down. There's a way to curtail this, and that's to to do what we call duck walk almost, except not super low, right? You lower your center of gravity, keep your knees bent, and the way you move your feet uh, allows you to keep your hips level, which allows your upper body to stay level, but it's something you have to practice. It allows you to make good hits um, moving towards your target or away from your target. And then if you do it properly, right or left, we call lateral movement, and you're moving your shoulders appropriately, like your whole upper body is a, a turret with a gun on it, on a tank. Um, you keep your weapon aligned with your vision. Your trigger press is good. It allows you to increase the, the accuracy of your hits. And it's a good thing to practice um, inside of five, seven, 10 yards. Uh, once you get out past 15, you really need to set up a more stable platform and have good cover. Um, but standing still while you're in the shooting is a bad idea. It, it allows the bad guy to shoot back more accurately because you're a stable target. Um, so I, I think I answered your question, Paul. The, the, at the end of the day, you really got to be able to move laterally and towards your target and away from your target and be able to keep your weapon on target for engagement. Yeah, and while in the first article we talked about, um, he focused on long-range shooting with the handguns. This one, some of it, especially the close-quarters drill, is about more short-range short shooting. And one of the drills he he talks about, he used uh, barrels, and in the past it looks like he's used pallets as well. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about, it with the barrels, he arranged them in a, in a diamond um, in, in order to... To, to do the drill can you talk about drills such as this one and how they help when it comes to movement in a close quarter scenario well they force you to move in every direction right so essentially you build a box with 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 what you've got or um you build an obstacle course there's one of two different ways to do it right so if you build the box you set up your four corners and you engage your target which is you know front center uh down range from your box and you're going to move around in the box you backwards right forwards left and then right backwards left forwards or you can set it up with cones so that you're actually walking circles around the cones like you're making figure eights or, or uh, triquetras where you're moving around three different cones but then you're moving in circles around a cone over to the next cone circle around that cone over to the next cone around that cone up to the cone whatever you can set up three four five six how many ever you want uh, within the safety limitations of your range. The idea is to be able to keep 
training yourself to keep your eyes and your weapon on target um, and moving in such a way that you're not required to look at your feet and where you're stepping. Um, very easy to do on a range because ranges are flat. I mean, unless you've got mud puddles or rocks or steps, you don't have to worry about tripping on stuff. But it's amazing how often some people will trip over their own feet or drag a toe or something else uh, if they're not looking down at where they're going. And that's really a detriment. If you're if you're in a shooting, you've got to keep your gun, your eyes on the target. You don't need to look at your feet to walk across the ground. Um, so that's the, the two drills, you know, using a box or using an obstacle. You're staying within the box, moving all four directions, or you're moving around obstacles circularly and then to your right or your left diagonally on a triangle or a triquetrous type situation. Great drills for movement. So in the next article we'll talk about from Lindsay, it's uh, Dimension Training with 3D Targets. And this one appeared in September, October issue of Officer Magazine uh, late last year. And he, he talks about the need to basically mix it up uh, during firearms training that you, know, you shouldn't always shoot on the same types of targets. In this case, he's using uh, three-dimensional targets from um, Birchwood Casey um uh, there are 3D torso targets. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, targets that that you prefer to use while uh, fi during firearms training and use for training uh, when, when doing law enforcement training for firearms and, you know, different types of targets that can be used and kind of the, the advantages of those? So, you know, almost every officer who's qualified with a firearm can give you a list of standard qualification targets from the FBIQ to the B27 to bullseye targets to dot targets to all these different things. It really does take on a different dimension, as as Lindsay mentions, when you get a 3D target. Um, and, and I've had one of these in the past, and you can put clothing on them. I mean, sure, you can put clothing on a, a cardboard target, but it's different when you actually have a target that has that third dimension of thickness and actually has a head and facial features. Um, We've when we've tested body armor in the past, we've used these 3D targets and you put body armor on the target. And then um, sometimes when you're using hard armor, you see what's called spalling when a round uh, breaks apart and you get ricochets up underneath the chin or on the face structure. And you see that with a 3D target. Uh, we have some people who are very, very creative and they will use a 3D target and they'll use a uh, like a Ziploc heavy-duty bag full of ketchup or colored water or whatever and they'll they'll make it about the size of their fist uh, and they'll tape it onto the 3d target where the heart is um, and then they'll put a shirt on over it so you're shooting this target and you're assuming you're hitting it but can you really see your hits with a paper target a lot of times because of lighting you can see the holes in the target well with a shirt and a 3d target you can't necessarily see that um but if you're shooting until you see blood flow and you've got that baggie full of ketchup or whatever underneath the shirt, it can add an interesting dimension to the target. And just the 3D capability itself does help mix it up. It, it helps when you're looking at angled shots as well. Um, or if you're using uh, targets, you need to differentiate the target. So say you have two of these 3D targets and the suspect description is, is somebody in a gray hoodie and the hostage is in a yellow shirt. Well, now we can stack these and put a yellow shirt 3D target in front of a gray hoodie target. 
And if you hit the yellow shirt target, you killed the hostage. You got to hit the gray hoodie target. And it, it does add an interesting training uh, dimension to it. It can make it a lot more fun, a lot more challenging. It's anything, honestly, anything different can be better and more interesting and more fun than the typical I'm shooting on a paper target because I got to punch holes in an eight ring because I got to do administrative qualification and I don't want to be here because there's a barbecue. And you know what I'm saying? It's just more fun if you can mix it up some. The last article um, that we'll talk about today uh, from Lindsay was from um, from November. It was an online exclusive. It's handcuffing the transition from firearm to cuffing a suspect. And, you know, so far we've talked primarily about uh, firearms um, training when it comes to shooting. In this case, it's just about being able to transition from um, from the firearm to cuffing a suspect and to be aware at all times because, you know, at close quarters like that, um, that assaults can happen um, during handcuffing. So what do officers have to keep in mind um, while handcuffing a a, a suspect and going from that firearm and uh, what precautions should be taken? Well, n- number one, if it can be avoided at all costs, you don't want to be trying to take control of a suspect with one hand with your gun in your other hand. Um, that when, when you first touch the suspect, that's when they stand, you stand the greatest chance of them reacting and attacking. And while you, maybe you do want your gun in your hand, if you start shooting the guy, you shouldn't be attacking him if he has any weapons in his hand at all. And if he turns to attack you and you shoot him, then you've shot an unarmed suspect. So th- this is not going to go good in any way, shape, or form. Um, you, you either need to be hands-on or you need to be a cover man who's got a weapon in their hand, not both. Now, sometimes in some situations, as Lindsay said, there's there's places where you got to grab somebody with one hand and you're the only officer there. Uh, and there are some control techniques. The, the biggest key is once you touch them, that first contact, you have to have positive control, whether it's a wrist lock or an arm bar, whatever it is. Um, you know, a lot of these techniques Lindsay's showing in the photos, he's standing up. If I'm going to have to do this by myself, I'm going to prone the person out. Um, they're going to be facing, their head's going to be facing away from me, that my direction of approach, their arms are going to be out to their sides, they're risking palms are going to be turned up. I'm going to have all kinds of options um, to put them as much at a disability as I can before I make an approach. Um, and then on the approach, uh, I'll holster up. Um, there, there's just, this is that first contact, that closing distance um, is is really a dangerous time in, in any kind of arrest situation. And Lindsay goes on to talk about uh, different um, systems, all right, different uh, styles. There used to be the big debate, like if you're a Taekwondo guy, you know, what's better, Taekwondo or Judo, or what's better, Hapkido or Aikido, you know, all the different arguments. At the end of the day, if you master something, uh, you're better off than the guy who has never mastered anything and you're going to be in a fight. But if you start trying to mix up systems, um, Lindsay is not in favor of that. I'd love to have this conversation with Lindsay. Uh, over a beer sometime because uh, I'm of the belief that law enforcement for as long as I was, and I was a 40 year officer, we, we were a mixed martial artist. We did whatever worked. I mean, you're in a, a street fight. There are no rules. There's, there's use of control, use of force controls. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you just got to win the fight. If you're fighting somebody in the handcuffs, you just got to get them to handcuffs. You know, it's up to them how bad they get hurt. Um, but 
Lindsay demonstrates several techniques. They're excellent control techniques. They're very scientific techniques. Um, I don't trust the average cop enough to, to, and this is not an insult to officers. You just don't practice anything enough to master it sufficiently to do that, these techniques, these specific techniques under stress with a combative suspect. Um, and especially if you're by yourself and you got a gun in one hand, I just, to me, that's a bad idea. So Lindsay talks about uh, some of the things you need to do this training, uh, in, including um, products from ASP, the, the red guns, which are replica firearms, and also their uh, ASP's um, ultra cuffs. Can you talk about, you know, the especially the ultra cuffs for training and how those, you know, help when it comes to training with handcuffs versus using, of course, regular handcuffs? I don't know that there really is, Paul. I mean... I'm a big, big fan of train with what you use. Now, I, obviously, I'd rather use a red gun all day than a real handgun. Um, you, you start to have uh, negligent injuries when you're using real weapons um, in training. But whether if you carry ultra cuffs, great, carry all use train with them. If you their ASP has their whole line of sentry cuffs out now, uh, chain link and hinge. If I was going to be doing this type of training today, I'd be using the cuffs that I had every day on my gun belt. In, in this case. If I was building a gun belt today, it would be the ASP sentry cuffs. Uh, I'd prefer to have two pairs of hinged. Um, and, you know, have a red gun for taser. Have a, a red gun or a blue. They company called Rings makes blue guns, um, and they make blue everything. So OC spray, lights, um, radios, have it all. I mean, if you have have your full gun belt on, uh, the the key is to be able to simulate having all of your tools and what you're using. Um, when the time comes. So whether it's ultra cuffs, whether it's sentry cuffs, um, you know, have the red gun that's correct for your gun. Um, but I would, uh, I wouldn't, I know, and Lindsay talks about um, the advantage of the ultra cuffs. Act like real cuffs, disengage with a roll of the subject wrists. Um, and we're worried about hurting our training partner. Uh, it, it's a great concern. I still this is training. None of us is hurting the other intentionally. We all know how not to resist so we don't hurt ourselves. I'd, I'd still be using regular handcuffs. Uh, again, conversation to be had with Lindsay over a beer. Uh, he and I can argue back and forth all day. Uh, and then, you know, maybe he changes my thinking. Maybe I change his thinking. Ultimately, we both learn something and we get to have a great conversation. So, and, and just one more thing, Frank, um, you know, we're finished, uh, We've wrapped up talking about the articles from Lindsay, and he does a great job, um, you know, putting things out there that officers have to keep in mind, and especially with the training articles. But do law enforcement agencies, do you feel like um, enough time is spent on firearms training and some of these tactics, and is it something that officers should put in extra time to, to review and train on? Oh, I 100% think officers ought to get more training. We don't train enough. Yeah. When you look at any... Uh, elite unit, whether it's a military unit, you're talking about Green Berets, or you're talking about Delta, talking about Navy SEALs, talking about the Marine Corps Raiders, go to law enforcement, start talking about SWAT teams or the FBI's HRT guys. At the end of the day, they have probably 20 times more training allotted um, than the quote-unquote average officer or soldier, right? Uh, I know agencies qualify once a year with their firearms because that's what's mandatory and that's all they budget. Uh, that's just not enough. Uh, you can never 
train too much, in my opinion. But we need to keep in mind, you know, they say practice makes perfect. Well, it doesn't. Perfect practice makes perfect. We often train to find out what we're doing wrong so then we can correct it and practice doing it the right way. Uh, my wife and I were just at the range um, two days ago as we're recording this podcast now. And we did dot drills and we did reload drills and we did malfunction drills and we did all this stuff. My wife is a civilian who carries a firearm for self-defense and she goes to the range at least monthly. If you're a police officer and you're not getting a chance to shoot at, me at least monthly, you should go do it on your own time, on your own dime. It's your life. We don't get enough time to train. Absolutely 100% don't. We need to do it more and all we can uh, within the confines of cost and time allotments that we have personally. Well, I'd like to thank everybody for uh, checking out this latest episode of the Officer Roll Call, Call Podcast. Um, if you want to check out other episodes that we've had, you can find them on officer.com under the podcast link on the um, on the upper bar on the website. And uh, and again, thank you. If you have any questions, you can reach out to us at editors at officer.com. Is there anything you want to add before we sign off, Frank? As always, I just want everybody to stay safe. Hey, take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Officer Roll Call. Be sure to check back every two weeks for a new episode. Stay safe.